Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we reach that Sunday that marks the end of another year-long journey through the church calendar, culminating in the last Sunday of the church year, sometimes called Christ the King Sunday, with an emphasis on the fact that Christ is coming back to earth and that we should uh, be mindful of that as a key part of our lives as the most important fact of our lives, that Jesus Christ is coming back one day to earth as the judge and the Lord. And as a man who has been engaged in preaching for 20 years now, uh, it's astonishing to me to see how much culture has shifted so much in 20 years. Even in the church, that this is a subject that a lot of folks feel is kind of irrelevant or maybe even a little embarrassing if you bring your friends to church on Christ the King Sunday and the pastor talks about Judgment Day. I actually preached at a church and on the way out heard a man apologize to his friend that he'd brought as a guest for my sermon focused on Judgment Day and he was saying to his friend as he walked past me, his sermons are usually much more practical. And, of course, I can't really blame the guy too much. It doesn't feel really practical or real life that um, there's a judgment day coming and that there's something to be paid attention to. And certainly, with all the medical and technological advances in the past century or so that we have in this country, even in just the past 20 or 30 years, much of Western, especially in the Western world, has an incredibly high quality of life. We have access to plentiful food and resources. We have access to medical care. Diseases that would have run rampant even a century ago, like the flu, polio, measles, have all been eradicated or certainly more under control. There's vaccines for it. Even complex diseases like cancer and heart disease are more treatable and the life expectancy is the norm. I mean, that people will survive these things and live for many years. I can remember my grandfather having open-heart surgery in 1986. He had quadruple bypass surgery, which is like big time in 1986. And he was in the hospital after having that surgery for like a month. And then he was on a recovery program, a strict recovery program for like a year. And more recently, a friend of the family went into the hospital with the same exact thing, needed a quadruple bypass. And they went in and got out the next day <laughs> and uh, did, uh, overnight back to normal life within a month. It's pretty incredible how medical technology has changed, how things have changed. And so life feels like the norm. And what's going on in life feels like what's most important. Death is not nearly as much a part of life as it used to be. Uh, one piece of evidence here. The current hymnal that we use in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the Lutheran Service Book, if you page through all the little sections in the top there, there's like the hymns we've been singing today up in the top corner says End Times in the corner there. So there's different sections. There is no section called Death and Burial in this whole hymnal. Um, there are, if you go to the index, there's a suggestion of 16 different hymns that could be used for death and burial, and quite a few more could be also because really our faith in Christ ultimately 
Um, if you have somebody who's recently passed away or you're attending a funeral, some of the hymns we sing now, they just come in a whole different light and hit you different when you're faced with death. But our hymnal doesn't really uh, have that just by contrast, okay? And this is not wrong. But the very first LCMS hymnal, so I'm not talking about the red hymnal or, you know, the hymnal that you guys had from 1940. I'm talking about this hymnal. <laughs> Anybody ever seen one of these? This is the first hymnal that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod used. It is called the Kirchen Gesangbuch für Evangelisch Lutheran Gemeinden Unagater Augsburger Confession. All right? I promise I said that right. Uh, this was used beginning in 1847. And actually in the congregation I grew up in in Michigan, they still use this hymnal. They had a German service until I was in high school. If you page through this hymnal, there is a full section of 45 hymns for death and burial because that's how much more prominent death was a century and a half, almost two centuries ago. It was just a part of life. There's, there's uh, dozens and dozens of other suggestions as well. There are hymns for the burial of infants, hymns for the burial of toddlers, the burial of teens, young mothers, old folks, um, and the words are just absolutely wrenching and in good Lutheran fashion there's like 12 to 15 verses for every single one of them and uh, there's one um, for the birth or for the burial of a young child and it has words like mom and dad don't be sad I'm it's in German but I'm giving you a translation in English and it still has to rhyme so you know um, mom and dad don't be sad this is I'm in a better place and um you know, it goes, then you get like 11 more verses of stuff like that. And then it's like, and now we must part ways. And I'm like, oh, it's just like, wow. Um, but they're so full of hope in the return of Christ and the resurrection. The words that are coming in that particular hymn from the mouth of the baby are saying, uh, have hope, have peace, because um, this is not the end. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to go back to a time like that or that we abandon somehow or be sorry for all the medical advances and improvements to the quality of life that have been made in the last century. This is good, and it's a blessing from the hand of the Lord. By contrast, the small village I lived in in Botswana uh, for several years ago now suffered incredibly from the AIDS pandemic that swept through southern Africa at the turn of this century, about 20 years ago. And even today, from simple things that should be prevented with access to normal medical care are still ravaging folks in uh, different parts of the world. Not long after we moved into the village we lived in, we learned that there was a young girl who, she had even come over and played with our daughter at one point, but uh, she had had an accident. She fell and broke her arm. And she died from that injury a few days later, which was the first that we had heard of the accident. But it's gut-wrenching to see and know that there are people who still live and die from things like a broken arm, which shouldn't happen when you know something better is possible, right? But that's still a reality for a lot of folks in the world. All that is to say that when death does find its way into our lives, it brings front and center what should have been front and center all along. There is much more going on than our small comings and goings our career striving and relationships, successes or failures, our family memories or family dramas, these are like a breath in the wind. They're here one minute and gone the next. There is a much bigger eternity that follows this life. And as Christ's redeemed people, 
we already have one foot in that eternity. As Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not will have, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. This is the view of things that Paul is taking as he talks with the new Christian church at Thessalonica in the epistle text we read earlier from 1 Thessalonians 5. And this group is actually a fascinating group of people. Thessalonica is a big urban cosmopolitan city right on the, the I forget what, I'm not good at geography, it's some body of water. So it's got a port there. It's a big, it's a happening place. I actually got to go there this spring. And there's several places that are in the Bible, like Philippi, where the Philippians are, Ephesus. Those are just like hills on the ground where nobody lives anymore and people have excavated and dug in there. But Thessalonica is still a big-time place, a big city. And um, so I think this is one of Paul's favorites. He had first proclaimed the gospel there after leaving Philippi where he had been beaten and imprisoned because he had crossed the path of powerful idol makers there. You can read about that in Acts 16 and 17. And he went to this new town, this fairly cosmopolitan area, and this group, from a strictly human perspective, had no point of connection with the message Paul was proclaiming. Like, they, didn't, they weren't Jews. They didn't have the concept of one God or resurrection from the dead or anything like that. And yet, They've turned their back on everything they have known about life, that their culture would have taught them about reality. They, they turned their back on multiple gods, hypersexuality, rampant materialism, and they received wholeheartedly and have been transformed by the gospel message, truly a work of the Holy Spirit. If you read the letter to the Thessalonians, Paul talks in there so much about the Holy Spirit because I think he's just amazed that these folks, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that he could see the faith and the life that he's seeing in that church. Now, a couple years later, Paul's writing to this group, that's what First Thessalonians is, and he's clarifying some issues on marriage and what happens when people die because people didn't expect they were going to die. They thought Jesus was coming back imminently and yet people are dying or they have fallen asleep. As he says, he wants to bring the scope of things back in the light of eternity, back into focus. And these are good words for us too. Uh, Verse 1, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So Paul's saying, You've heard this one before. I've taught you about this. Those of you who are familiar with the Bible may recognize that Jesus also described the end like this some 20 years earlier. In the, in the Gospels, that it will come like a thief in the night, and I say to you, watch, right? Like the parable of the virgins that we read. Verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So peace and security, um, I love that he uses this in there because that was like a slogan of the Roman Empire. Um, in the same way we have uh, slogans in the United States at various points, you know, liberty and justice for all. Um, I won't get into some of the more recent ones to avoid politics, but uh, they had a slogan, peace and security, all right? as a common propaganda slogan of the Roman Empire, hi- highlighting their admittedly remarkable 
peace that they had brought upon it. If you study history, it's called the, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. The idea was that their rule came with an unprecedented and perhaps eternally long-lasting peace, that there would never be an end to this empire. But Paul says the end of that and the end of everything else inevitably comes just the same way that a woman who is pregnant eventually is going to go into labor. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Verse 4, But you are not in the darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, since you know and have the right focus, the end of days cannot surprise you. That's something that is an invitation to us as well. Verse 5, For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And uh, I'm still incidentally waiting for someone to name their church Children of the Day Lutheran Church. So you guys might consider that here. Um, But Paul gets to the point, verse 6, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, it's our identity. Since we belong to the day, Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, in my work, I get to travel a lot, and I've experienced a phenomenon called jet lag. Has anybody here ever experienced jet lag before? A little bit? Okay. They say that for every hour time zone you travel, it takes a day to adjust to it, to adjust to jet lag. So I recently traveled to Ethiopia in East Africa, which is nine hours ahead of central time zone. And I was there for eight days. So if you start doing math, that means that I was there just about adjusted, and then I came back here and spent another. So basically, I spent most of the month of October suffering from jet lag, one way or the other, trying to get adjusted to the time there and then back. One of the things that happens when you have jet lag is that you find yourself awake before everyone else. You ever experience that? You're waiting for the dawn that you know is going to come, but that others who are asleep are, I guess, less conscious of. So in a sense, when I read through this part of 1 Thessalonians, I picture Paul speaking to the Thessalonians this way. They're already awake before everyone else, waiting for the day to come. And while everyone else is unconscious of what is to come, we know what's coming so we can organize and conduct our lives in light of the fact that one day Jesus will come back, that Jesus is coming soon. And while our culture around us throws itself into meaningless endeavors and things that have only fleeting importance, we can engage in the callings that God has given us in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Our work, our jobs, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities. We can throw ourselves into those with an eye towards something greater, towards eternity. And when our culture around us escapes the pain and hardship of reality and the hardness of life because they don't have a sense that one day this will all end and eternity is coming, so they escape that with partying or pornography or impulse shopping or gluttony or whatever, We can live in the stark reality that this is not all there is. There's something greater out there and that at any moment all of this could end and Jesus could return and our very existence will be transformed. To be honest, some Sunday evenings I pray that it will happen that day so I don't have to go back to work on Monday 
and deal with the stuff that's there waiting for me. So if you can relate to that, I won't make you raise your hands, but we can always pray for Jesus to come back. Paul continues in verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. We are in this together. Encourage one another and build each other up. God is on our side because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even if we're found asleep, we have life with Christ. There's something greater going on out there than all that we see in this life. And at any time it can come to an end and we will be with the Lord. And for me, verse 11 is so important. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. When you go out those doors, people don't understand what you understand. When you go out those doors, there's a lot of pressure to live life a certain way, to conform to the patterns of this world that are, they don't make a lot of sense to other people, but they make sense to us. The way that we live makes sense to us given who we now know we are in Christ. It does not conform to the patterns of the world. That's why we need to see each other here. That's why we need to be with each other. That's why we need to take the Lord's Supper together like we're going to do in a little bit to encourage and build each other up and remind each other that we are in this together. And we need to not let this important aspect of our faith fall out of focus. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming to judge the world and to take his people home with him. May that keep us encouraged. May that keep us focused. Keep us coming back here. Motivate us to pray for and proclaim the good news to the folks that God has placed in our lives who desperately need some good news from their creator, from their redeemer, from their sanctifier. May we be found awake and building each other up when Christ returns. And may that day be soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.